On today's episode of Three Wide in the Middle, we take a look at the USAC National Sprint Car Series, which has wrapped up its season in 2021. And we welcome our new co-host. I should say I welcome my new co-host, Keith the Animal Bradley, to the show as me and him talk about the USAC Series, both sprint cars and midgets. And then we wrap things up with a look at our new segment that we'll be doing here through kind of the off season called Legends of the Track with a really unique look at a driver that I think is probably one of the greatest what if stories of all time. So we got that and more coming up next on Three Wide in the Middle. Welcome everybody to Three Wide in the Middle, your home for all things racing. I am Thomas Brandon, and joining me today, my new co-host, Keith the Animal Bradley. Keith, what's up, my man? How are you? I'm doing good, man. Just ready to talk about talk about some racing. We got the USAC Sprint Car Series that just wrapped everything up, and then we also got a new segment that we'll be doing today. Where I'm sure we'll have some awesome, awesome stories to hear about your days with Brian Clausen, but before we get to that, uh, USAC National Sprints just wrapped up their season. Uh, Brady Bacon got the championship. Um, now, you were actually, you went to Four Crown. Did you go to any other races this season? Uh, went to the Four Crown, of course. Um, let's see, I went to the Indiana Sprint Week show at Lawrenceburg, and then a couple one-off races at Lawrenceburg due to my work schedule, but that happens. Yeah, well, luckily for you, I mean, you're out there where those cars actually run. They only they only swing through my area like once a once a year for six days, and they're still eight hours away. So I don't get to I don't get to see them that often. It's usually once every few years. So yeah, fortunately, I can drive like five minutes down the road, and I'm at Lawrenceburg Speedway, so I, I'm pretty fortunate. I feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, when you're in the heart of sprint car racing, it makes it makes it easier to makes it easier to see. So, yeah, Brady Bacon, phenomenal season, getting the championship. He actually, you know, I saw him run at the World Finals. He was running for uh, Kevin Swindell. He was in the 39 uh, car, and I'd never seen him run a wing car before. He actually did pretty good. They had some bad luck, but he actually did pretty good. I was surprised to see him uh, run it. Had, did you know that he run wing, ran wing cars, or was that a first time for him? Um, I know he's ran a wing car this year. Um, he ran a couple times at Circle City. Uh, he ran, I think, the all-star race at Kokomo and almost won it, but broke a throttle linkage. Um, I know he's got a wing history. He's got a past of racing wing cars, but with the USAC stuff, he... he he normally runs all non-wing stuff, but he'll dabble into the uh, wing stuff when he's got time. And he's actually a pretty good wing racer. Who would have thought? Yeah. Well, you know, if you look at the year that Tyler Courtney had this year in the wing cars, I mean, that was incredible. When we were at the World Finals, there was uh, there was two guys that were sitting next to us. One of them is from uh, Indiana, I believe. Indiana or Pennsylvania? I can't remember. Uh, he must have been Indiana because he he 
he knew Tyler Courtney. Now, when I say he knew him, though, I don't think like they were homies or anything like that. I think he had just talked to him sometimes, maybe at the races or something like that, the way he made it sound. But he was talking about how Tyler Courtney, basically their plan was just to kind of dip their toe into the wing racing waters, and they end up going out and winning some of the biggest races uh, in, in sprint car racing, and they end up winning the All-Star Championship, man. So it was uh, it was a good year for them. Yeah, he, he definitely had a, a phenomenal year for never really racing a wing car and then coming out and winning, what, the knock. You won King's Royal. King's Royal, yeah. and then winning, I don't know how many, I don't know how many wing races he won, but it, it was it was well, a good I, chunk. I think he won seven or eight all-star races uh, this yeah. season. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely, definitely a, a phenomenal season. To, to have plans of running a part-time schedule and then turning it into a full-time schedule. Yeah, and, and winning a championship. championship. That's impressive. Yeah, that, definitely. That is very, you, very impressive. You got, you got some talent. So, yeah. Um, now, he, I mean, a lot of those USAC guys, they run USAC, they, they'll run the sprints and the midgets. Now, they usually have to pick one over the other. Right, in terms of if they're gonna run for a championship, because they're not always running together. Is that how it works? Um, I would you I would think so. I'm not a hundred percent sure, okay. but I, I know they're I think Wyndham's committed to both. Oh really? And I know Kevin Thomas Jr. was running points for both with Petrie. Um but I, I'm not 100% sure. I know there's a handful of them that are. Like, Logan Seavey's one of them. Yeah. Um, Grant, he's one of them. There, there's less than there is more of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just I because know, I, mean, I know I, I'll, Yeah, I'll see some of them obviously running both, especially when they're together. You know, when they're at the yeah. same track, they'll, they will. You know, you look at, um, you know, Thomas Meserol. I know he, he runs both of them. Now, he's mostly a midget guy. Um, but he'll he'll run the non-wing sprint. Um, well, but yeah. So, anyway, so back to the sprint cars. They wrapped up the season. Uh, last two nights were just this last weekend at Arizona Speedway. Bacon won night number one, and Logan Seavey, who you were just talking about, won night number two. So, Brady Bacon won the championship. It'll be interesting to see what he does next year. Now, did he? Wasn't he the champion last year too? Uh, he was. Yeah, so he won two years in a row. Not a not a bad uh not a bad run in the uh in the non wing sprint cars. Uh now did you ever run against Brady Bacon? I ran against Brady quite a bit. Yeah. Back in, back when he was not only in the sixty nine car, but back when Casey Kane had a non wing team and a midget team. When him and Brad Sweet both raced for him, I was if they showed up to a local show, we would, of course, get to share the track with them two guys. And, yeah. Yeah. But it, I mean, it, it wasn't ever a weekend that I was racing with them. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't. You say Brad Sweet, who got his third Outlaw Championship this year. A lot of people don't know how how good of a non-wing sprint car driver Brad Sweet was. <laughs> yeah, was and he, he was just as good in a midget too. Yeah, he and, was a phenomenal and midget driver too. Yep. People now just getting into the sport, they have mm -hmm. no clue that he, he was one heck of a wheel man in a non-wing car. He could drive the heck out of a midget. Yeah, he could drive anything. He could. I remember the first time 
he uh so there was a oh man i wish i could remember the guy's name is so long ago but there was an older guy who was around and he had a he owned a 600 sprint any sprint and he would kind of pluck people you know up and coming kids out of the outlaw carts and put them in his 600 to run you know kind of see if they could take the next step and i remember hearing the story about the first time brad sweet hopped in it it's like dude freaking kid drove it like he'd been in it for a decade like it was like he'd never seen anything like it before and it, he wasn't he i don't he wasn't in it very long i mean i know he moved up rather quickly i think he only ran those 600s for maybe maybe a year for taking like it wasn't very long and he was already moving up to bigger and better things so yeah i mean he's just a ton of talent man he it's how he can show up every year at the chili bowl and be running up front you know, what was it two years ago he was winning the preliminary night had he not had the car not broke or whatever had happened to him on that prelim night he would have been a contender to win the whole thing yeah and and he's a he's a stud in a midget which yeah, is he is very very surprising because like if you i feel like if you run a wing car most of your career you would struggle stepping down per se mm -hmm. and it's just like night and day for him yep but guys that do this for a living and they can do that yeah not a lot of them can though but yeah most no. of them yeah you're right we had a driver who uh when he would come run the midget for terry uh he was a wing guy and we would mount the seat cock we would cock it to the left so when the car rolled to the right he would be upright he would be straight up and down because he was so used to the car winging over going into the corners yeah. so when it would roll to the right it just like he just didn't like it and so we would just cock the seat to the left so when he'd be going down the straightaway he's he's to the left and then when he would get to the corner it would straighten him up so it wouldn't roll too far on him yeah but i can see where that would make you comfortable mm -hmm. it, yeah and it did I mean, he, was, he was freaking fast in him he did that. It's just like, okay, I'm good now. <laughs> I'm all good. So that, that that's one car I wish I could have had the opportunity to drive. Would was a midget. Yeah, I I had the opportunity once, and I freaking missed out on it. And it's one of my biggest regrets ever. Because I It's not like I was gonna hop in and go win or or do anything. Like it wasn't gonna lead to a racing career, but it's just I had the opportunity to do it and I missed out on it. And it's just it would have been such an awesome experience, man. Because I had been getting ready for it for probably like two months, and yeah. when I was working for Harry, we had the one driver John who was our regular driver, and then we had this second car that he would basically like rent out to people. You know, you could just buy the ride for the week. And I believe then he was doing it to people for people. Um, if it was like a one-off, it would be like a thousand bucks for that night. Um, and then if you wanted to run it like multiple weekends, if he thought you were decent, you know, he would do it for, you'd work something out where it'd be like $500 a night, but it had to be X number of races, you know? Yeah. And he had asked me, he was like, have you ever thought about running something bigger i was like well yeah i would love to i just don't have the money terry i was like there's a reason why i have a second hand outlaw cart sitting over there it's because i don't have the money to, to run anything bigger and he was like well i'll let you run the midget for 500 bucks i was like really he's like yeah i'm like done sold like when when can i run it 
Deal. And, I'll be yeah, here tomorrow. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, not a problem, man. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on it. And so we were gonna do it. There was gonna be a race out here at my local dirt track at Marysville. And when, what had happened was, is there was two upcoming races at Marysville. One was supposed to be a USAC Western States race, and I, I wasn't gonna run that. And then the other one was going to be a BCRA midget race. And that was the one that I was going to run. Because back then, BCRA, they only had like, there would only be like maybe 20 cars that would show up. Like it wasn't, BCRA had really kind of tailed off. Like back in the day, like BCRA was like a big deal, but it, it wasn't no more. And so I was going to run that. And I was up in Washington and actually had the weekends wrong. I had the weekends and the bcra race while it was while i was up in washington and so i freaking missed out on it because i was like dude i as much as i want to do it i'm like i'm not going to run that during a western states race it's, it's although it's not usac national like there was you know the, the the western states races back then were a big deal man meserol was still running in them like there was like legit drivers running usac western states back then i can't do it can't show up and run a western states race yeah so, i so yeah, miss my miss my one shot, man. But oh well, maybe maybe one day I'll go do one of those driving experience things or something. I don't know. Cause Scott, I'd love to do that. Like come over yeah. to where you're at and meet up with Corey Cruzman mm-hmm. and the midget just to try it. Because like I said on the last podcast I was on, the midgets are by far my favorite. Yeah, they're awesome, man. And Jimmy Sills School of Open Wheel Racing is. You know, that was only five minutes from me. It was at the Marysville Raceway Park. And I actually went there when I was like 16. Ron, when Shane was going to get into the midgets and the sprint cars, and I was going to, you know, basically be working on them and stuff like that, Ron sent me and Shane out there. And so I kind of went through all the mechanical stuff, you know, the setting up and how to, do, you know, get everything prepared, you know, how to block the car and square it up and all that stuff like that. And Shane kind of went through the driving stuff. And Jimmy always would let people run the sprint car. He would put them in a 360 wing sprint car, but he would not let anybody drive his midget. He just wouldn't do it like that. That was just off limits. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> you can't run the midget out here. You can't run my midget. Like he would not let people run it. And it was just like, that was like his baby. He just wouldn't let people do it. He lets you run the sprint car. I'm like, it's twice as big and has twice the power. He's like, yep. He goes, but the midget, nope, not, not letting people run it. That's like, funny. Oh, yeah. He just wouldn't let them do it. Now, he, according to according to him, and I don't know if he was he could have just said this, you know what I mean. But according to him, he's like they're harder to drive. I I have no idea. I've never driven one. I've never driven a wing sprint car, so I have no clue if they are harder to drive. But yeah, I, I don't know either. Yeah, I but I could, I could see I could see where that might be the case, just because they have you know the the way that they, they have so much more action to them. They're bouncing around so much more, and they're so small and have so much power, you know. I could see, yeah, I could see and, where it might be a handful. And that's what I like about them. They're they're so edgy. Mm-hmm. They're so on edge just yeah. sitting watching them. It's like, these these cars are sweet. Yeah. And I feel like the Midget Series is coming back. Yeah, so do I. If you look back maybe a year to two years ago, the Midget Fields weren't as stout as they are now. No, it seems like Midget Racing has been making a bit of a comeback the last couple of years. It seems yeah, I mean, it's kind of tailed like, off there. It's a lot like the Silver Crown series, like years a couple years ago. It same way. I mean, it's tailing off. Now it's coming back. Midget mm-hmm. Racing's doing the same thing, and it's 
I love it. I love the midgets for yeah. some reason. I just absolutely love them. And that's, and I've drove, I think the wildest car out there, a non-wing car. Yeah. But I think the midgets are, they're so impressive. Yeah. Well, it's basically, I mean, you're, you're just taking a, a non-wing sprint car and condensing it, right? I mean, that's literally what it is. It's just, it's, it's basically like half the size. And then you just take that big 410 motor and you just cut it in half. Right. I mean, yeah. that's basically what a midget is. So when you think about it in terms of like a power to weight ratio, it's I mean, it's right there with them, man. It really is. They're a handful. So, yeah, I have a huge respect for anybody who can drive those cars and do it well, because I think they're they're incredible, especially when you get to, to you know, some of those, you know, when those guys are ripping at freaking Eldora or, you know, right there up on the wall in those things, man, or, you know, like Belleville or something like that. I think that's just it's crazy. sketchy yeah sketchy, sketchy. very sketchy <laughs> yeah, really sketchy Which, and i don't yeah, even think the right word for it yeah me neither me neither but yeah you know it's just it, it, it they're awesome to watch man so me looking forward to see how the midget series wraps up you know as we head into the last week there and then yeah to have the sprint car season wrap up it won't be won't be long before everybody be getting ready for uh chili bowl gateway uh, nationals and chili bowl yeah Yep, I just want to give a shout out, thoughts and prayers to Dason Persley and his family. He had a a horrible ride last weekend, and unfortunately, he's in the hospital, and hopefully he can recover from it and maybe eventually get back into a midget again. Yeah, I heard about that, man. I didn't watch it. Um, I, to be honest, I didn't want to watch it, uh, but I it heard was, about it. It was bad. It was very, very bad. Like, we a couple of us was on flow watching and when it goes straight to commercial, you know, it's not good. And I yeah. seen a backboard out of the ambulance. And I, I mentioned to the guys that I was talking to, like, this ain't going to be good. They got the backboard out and your mind never went back to how good the racing was. You're, you're thinking about Dason and thoughts and prayers go out to him. And yeah, definitely. And, and even, uh, I can't remember who's Buddy Kofoid. I can only imagine what he's going through right now. So, yeah, guys can keep their mind, minds right, and hopefully, Dason can get back into a car if he can. Yeah, yeah. Like, what he broke a vertebrae in his back, wasn't it? Yeah, he had a C4 and a C5 injury, and they fused it. Now he's having issues with his throat swelling, so he can't eat or drink. Like, gosh. So it's it's. It's going to be a long road ahead of him. Yeah, that's that's tough, man. I uh, like you said, thoughts and prayers. Hopefully, hopefully everything will be all right, man. Have a full recovery, or at least as close to a full recovery as you can have after after going through that type of accident and surgery. That's tough, man. Gosh dang. Well, that actually is pretty good segue into our next segment, which we're gonna we're gonna do right after we take a break, where we're gonna bust out our our legends of the track and we're going to start with probably what is in my opinion the great is the greatest what if story there is on dirt so we'll be right back after this break all right so this segment is a new segment i wanted to do something fun for kind of the off season although you know like we were just talking about a few minutes ago i mean not going to be long before we got gateway nationals and chili bowl coming up and then heck after that it's only a few weeks and then we got racing down in florida so not too much of an off season in dirt anymore but which is which is good for us but uh 
Uh, I wanted to do something where we kind of broke down drivers, and now that Keith's here on the show with us, which is freaking awesome, man. Thanks for doing it. I'm definitely looking forward to doing more with you. Uh, hey, thanks for, yeah. thanks for bringing me on. I appreciate yeah, it. Dude, but uh, so I wanted to do what we're going to just call Legends of the Track, and the first one that we're going to do is, like I said, what I think is probably one of the greatest what-if uh, stories of all time when it comes to dirt track racing. Uh, this guy, unfortunately, died uh, in a race August 7th, 2016 at the Belleville Nationals. And he had a run from 2010 to 2016. Granted, he'd been racing longer than that, but from 2010 to 2016, that was legitimately one of the greatest I think we've probably seen on dirt. In about 600 races, he had over 100 wins and over 200 podiums. That is an insane ratio when you think about what it is that he was driving. He was three-time USAC National Midget Series champion, three-time USAC National Drivers Champion. He won the Turkey Night Grand Prix twice. Turkey Night Grand Prix twice. That's a tongue twister. Two-time USAC National Sprint Car Series champion and the non-wing. Driver of the year, plus he won the Belleville Engine Nationals three times and won the Chili Bowl. And in 2018, he was elected into the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame. And we are talking about Brian Clausen. Now, Keith has got some interesting perspectives on Brian Clausen because you actually weren't just you weren't just a competitor with him on the track. You were actually a little bit more than that. Yeah, we were. I was fortunate enough to officially, unofficially be his first teammate when he moved to Indiana, which I think is really cool. I mean, granted, he was racing open wheel cars and the midgets and the sprint cars, and I was still coming up through the go-karts. But just a short story to get in into how we met. Um, we were both, I was signed on to race for a race team called B&L Motorsports that was owned by Barry and Dean Ryan and Lonnie Mitchell. Uh, Dean Ryan and Barry, they raced sprint cars as a father-son duo. Barry was the crew chief. Dean was the driver for free a couple of years, handful of years. Um, they raced non-wing and, and wing cars, and then they started a a go-kart program. And somehow, I can't, I can't really remember how me and my dad got involved in it, but I started racing alcohol go-karts with them for them and um they we had like a team meeting ordeal and they said they just signed a young driver that moved from california and he's coming to the shop to check everything out he was already under contract with the nascar team which at the time was chip ganassi racing um so one day after school i'm at the shop getting our go-karts ready to go for that weekend and in comes Brian Clausen and Tim Clausen and I kind of gave them the look like who the hell are you <laughs> this is my shop and Tim immediately came over as I was working on my go-kart and we started talking and he introduced himself and then he, Brian introduced himself and they were a great family to be around great people to know and little I wish I would have known back then that he would turn into a non-wing sprint car slash midget phenomenon because that's what he was i mean yeah he dude was. was good he was very good like he, you knew when he showed up like okay brian's here <laughs> we we got to be on our a game 
but I got to know them really, really well. Um, and then we, when we quit racing, they eventually left that team to go to, I, I don't quote me on it, but I think he went to Keith Coons for a little bit. And then they started their own stuff and he started running his stuff. And then eventually he got signed by Tony Stewart racing when Tony Stewart had a non-wing car. So, I mean, I, I spent probably a year and a half, maybe two years racing along Brian Clawson. I mean, of course he was running the sprint car stuff and I was working my way to that. Yeah. But the, the, the plan was when I was racing with them was to take me from the go-kart and put me in the spare sprint car and run side by side with Brian, which is, I, I think would have been really cool if it could have worked out. Yeah, that would have been awesome. Yeah. Because like you said, he, uh, he was he was a special driver. Now, like I, we were talking a little bit before the show, I I never got to see Clawson race in person, which uh, is which kind of sucks because I've seen some awesome drivers race in person. He's one of the few that I have not got to see. But I remember watching a lot. You know, I used to watch those races all on TV and heck, even you know YouTube videos and stuff like that. And the kid was just a stud. Like he really was. He's one of those guys. You know, like we talked about earlier, he reminded me of, like, a Kyle Larson on dirt, where he could just, like, hop in and go do it. Like, there wasn't, he just had, like, this natural ability, you know? And when you're running that many dirt races, when you've got a, you know, think about having a, a freaking 20% win rate at the highest level of non-wing dirt competition, right? Midgets and, and sprint cars, like, that's, that's insane. It's very impressive. Yeah, it's incredible, man. It's absolutely incredible. And and like now, everybody, I got, I don't know the best way to put it, but they they focus on Kyle Larson and the wing cars. Back in the day, it was all focus on Brian Clawson at a non-wing or a mm -hmm. midget. Yeah. If anything, it was anything he stepped foot in because he was a natural talent. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, that year that. That year that he died, the plan, at least from the, because I had to go back and do some research, because obviously he died in 2016, so talking five years ago. So I had to go back and do some research on it, because I remember, you know, following racing, and I remember hearing about him going to do, like, because that was when he had, he had done some nationwide series races. Um, I think he'd also done, like, Indie Lights or something like that. Like, he was running a bunch of different stuff. He did a couple Indy Light stuff, and yeah. then he run the Indy 500. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in 2016, he was supposed to compete in like, like 190 or 200 races or something like that. Like, it was a lot. Like, he was going to be doing, like, World of Outlaws, USAC, Midgets, Indy 500. Like, he was going to be doing, like, everything. Yeah. It's impressive. Like, yeah. who would have thought in, um, somebody could go run the Indy 500? Mm -hmm. Get out of that car and drive straight to Kokomo and get in a non-wing car. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's crazy, man. Yeah, he was a really, really phenomenal driver, man. And like I said, probably one of the greatest what-ifs of all time in dirt racing just because to have the success that he had. And he was only, was he? He was only 27 years old when he died, you know? I mean, think about that. Larson right now is 29. And I think I think when we met, when me and Brian met, 
I think I was, shoot, 13 or 14 at the time. And we're, we're very close in age. He might be a year older than me. So yeah. I was 14. He was 15. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, wow, man. Yeah. To, to, to go on the run that he went on. Um, it's just, it's shame that it ended the way that it did. You know, it really was. It, it was, it was gut wrenching when I found out about it. It upset me for a while. Yeah. Because I mean, Having the relationship that I had with them, because when we moved to 410 non-wing cars, they they helped us out quite a bit, along with a lot of other people. So when I got the text from a friend of mine that, hey, did you hear what happened? And then he told me, and it, I'm not going to lie, I I cried like a girl, but that's what yeah, happened. that's tough, man. Relationships with people, and it just cut short, because you know, he probably would have been the greatest if not the greatest in a dirt car because he was eventually going to start running wing cars and i feel like he'd probably be right there with the best of them yeah i think so too man he was he was so good that when you watch and for those of you listening right now if you have not seen if you haven't seen brian clausen go you, look up some youtube videos of brian clausen it's it's incredible man go watch some of his races because that guy was the, the car control, you know, like me and Keith were just talking about, you you look at a midget or a non-wing sprint car, the control that you have to have, those guys that run those cars, it it's another level, the skill that you have to have to do what those guys do. And the way that he ran those things, it was just so impressive, man. Watch somebody put, you know, a car that is legitimately on the edge and out of control. Like, that's the way you drive them. And to have such control over something like that, it's just, it was so impressive, man. He really was just an incredible driver yeah because it, it definitely takes a special kind of talent to go from running a four to non-wing car in the same night and then jumping in a midget and winning both yeah winning in both of them it, it's just very tough and you only have i think a handful of people that can actually do it and do it yeah do it consistently like you're like oh yeah that that guy he he's a contender to win both of them yeah, yeah. no I mean, you're 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 talking about rarefied air. That that puts you in, you know, like Larson can do that, right? But I mean, you look at some of the other. You're in like Jack Hewitt territory, right? Where it's like, oh, Jack's here. He's running all three cars tonight. Damn. <laughs> Guess yeah. we're going for a second. You know, like it's it's that level. And that's how Brian was. Like when yeah. when he would show up at Lawrenceburg just for either using Lawrenceburg as a test night, or they didn't. USAC rained out. And Lawrenceburg's still running. And when I raced, it was like. Every Saturday night was like showing up to a USAC race. It's like, all right, this is going to be a crappy night, but we're going to learn a lot from running with these guys. And and we would always park with Brian. We'd always park with your buddy, Robert Blue, that you raced with too. Yeah. Um, and it, it, was, it was special watching the him and his team work because it, it was just different. You had a different feel. Yeah, and th that's the thing. Those guys, when you look at, you can usually walk through the pits, and you can usually, if you've been around long enough, you can usually see the the driver and the teams that you're like those those guys are going places, right? Like you can usually pick them out and see, like who's who's got it and who doesn't. And it doesn't. It's not. It's not a. 
it's not a surface thing where it's like, oh, well, they got a pretty hauler and nice equipment. It's like, no, no, no. Like the way they operate, the stuff that they do, the way that they, you know what I mean? Like whether we're talking about how the, the crew is, and usually it's uh it's one or two guys, right? It's not it's not like NASCAR where you've got this whole whole garage full of engineers with telemetry and laptops, you know, you're talking about two or three dudes with with you know dirty clothes on and some wrenches, you know, <laughs> like it's out there just, you know putting in the work and you can usually tell um you know who who's got it and who doesn't and yeah those guys were you know i just like i said i never got to see him in person it was it was it sucked you know that that point i had kind of gotten out of racing and wasn't wasn't doing it no more but it would have been would have been awesome to see because that like i said he was he was phenomenal man definitely yeah. definitely something to watch and even sitting back as a fan because i mean let's be honest you're you're also not only going to compete with him, but you're you're a fan of it too. And oh, sitting, if for some reason we broke in the feature, I'd sit up on the roll cage and just watch him. And it was it was impressive seeing the stuff that he could do behind the wheel of a car. Yeah, yeah, like absolutely. It was like watching Kyle Larson just years ago, a couple of years ago, and and it was it was wild the car control that he had the the, just the general knowledge of sprint car racing that he, he had was mm-hmm. very, very impressive. Yeah, yeah. He was an incredible driver, man. Absolutely incredible. And it was, uh, it was a shame that, that it happened. He, uh, the end of his racing career, all series combined, he had, according to Driver Database Online, he had 770 races that he was in, 123 wins, 249 podiums. He had a race win percentage of almost 16% and a podium percent, 32%. And that was over his entire career. And that's taking into consideration 2003 to 2008, where he was only running, you know, I mean, 2003, 2004, he only ran one or two races. You know? yeah. and, then, and then 05 to, what was it, 09, he wasn't running, you know, he was only running... 20 30 races so it wasn't until 2010 that they really started you know going like full time with it and that was where you saw saw the the skill the 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 talent really shine through because that was where he started putting down double wins every year and was incredible because i know when when he moved to indiana and then joined the same team that i was on they didn't run but maybe maybe a handful of USAC shows. It was mostly local because he was, he was just getting started and learning the car, learning everything, which we could tell by his stats. He, he learned pretty quick, mm-hmm. probably one of the quickest. And uh, even then back when, back in the day when we were that young, it was impressive to watch just because even then he was so knowledgeable about it. His dad was so knowledgeable about it, but Looking back, I think his dad actually ran wing cars in California. Yeah, they're from. They're only. They're from from, car, yeah, that's only that's only a little ways from where I'm at. A couple hours. So it ain't like he came into the sport completely blind. No. Like a lot of, a lot of people do, and mm-hmm. then it was it was cool to sit back and watch his whole career unfold. Unfortunately, when he went to the Nationwide Series, I I feel like he probably would have done better, but. Back then, Chip Ganassi was really struggling, and then he'd hop back in the USAC car and get back to winning, and I think that's what he liked was getting back into his stuff, familiar territory, and getting back 
to to winning a lot of races. Yeah. And you know, back then, I mean, nowadays, you know, you got these guys who are just professional dirt drivers. Like that's what they drive and you know, that's that's what they do. And back then, you still had that, but it, the the money that that is in stuff like USAC now, it it wasn't it wasn't as prevalent back then, you know, when he was running it. It was basically you were either like you had to be like one of the top guys in USAC or you had to be on the outlaws to really be make to really make it a full-time yeah, job to really make it a full-time job otherwise you were you were having to run you know so many races like you might be running USAC but you're also running every local show that you can find just to make a few hundred bucks and I, and I think because of that that was one of the reasons we saw a lot of a lot of those guys trying to make the jump into whether it was NASCAR, you know, in the nationwide series or even the trucks or something like the IndyCar, because there was just more money in it. You know, we just had to make the money. You know, if you want to race for a living, you got to go where the go where the money is. And that's exactly what I was going to say. That's why you see a lot of, I can't say a lot of the guys, but some non-wing guys making the jump to wing cars. Why? Mm -hmm. Because there's more money to be one in wing racing. And I think, I think an average USAC race pays like 2,500, maybe five to win yeah. when you can go run a wing car a hundred times a year and have a shot at 10,000 to win, 20,000 to win yeah. or, or mm -hmm. all year long or all yeah. season long. Yeah. Basically every race is a minimum 10 grand to win. It, yeah. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's just, a, it's just a whole lot more money. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why you see those non-wing guys run like we were talking about running the sprint cars and the midgets and the silver crown, you know, what I mean? they're in every non-wing race that they can, they can get in because it's just, it's the only way to really make the money. And then the unfortunate part, if you're doing it for the money, if you don't make a podium that night, more than likely you're not making much, no. not making much at all. No, so uh -huh. them guys, that that's why you see a lot of the guys that do it full time be way more aggressive than everybody else, because in order to feed their family, they got to come in with, okay, we either got to finish on the podium or we have to win. Yeah. To make, yeah. to make enough to where we can make it a job. Mm -hmm. And that, I, that's why you see Timaz doing what he does and Justin Grant and Chris Windham and all these guys, because I feel like they have the dream job. Yeah. At least my dream job. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's not an easy life, man. It's really not, you know. No, it, it's it would be awesome, but it's it's hard. And and like like you can look back on their careers. There's a lot of times where they struggle, and 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 it ain't like you jump in it and you immediately win. It's a no. big learning curve, and then it takes years on years to get where they're at. And unfortunately, it took Brian a couple years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And but but I will say, back in the day, he probably had one of the best crew chiefs that you could have with Big Al being partnered with him. Big Al was probably the best sprint car slash midget crew chief you could have back then. Oh, really? That plays a big part into it, too, because if you don't have a good crew chief, that fortunately, plays a big role with those dad, cars. and his dad knows a lot, but like if if you – Compare him with somebody else that doesn't have, say, the greatest crew chief in the world. Their stats aren't even going to mirror each other. And he yeah. could be the greatest race car driver on the planet and struggle. 
Yeah. He doesn't have a good crew behind him. And fortunately with Brian, he had a very, very good crew 90% of his career. Yeah. No, that's, you know, that that brings up a good point because that was actually something that I was really surprised by when I started, you know, working on the dirt cars and stuff like that. And then when we started doing a whole lot more um, wing racing, right? So we had started off with the midgets and stuff like that. And when we started doing the wing sprints, I was surprised at the difference in what you would be doing to the car um, throughout the night. You know, you could really, with the wing car, that, that wing just makes up so much in terms of, it can really hide a lot of flaws. Like, you could be off, and man, with that wing, if their driver can just find the right spot, right, the right position on top of the car, like, it can really make up a lot of stuff. Um, you know, we, I talk about it all the time when I do, you know, whether it's like videos for, for, uh, sim racing and stuff like that, you know, cause it's the same type of thing where it's just like, look, man, if you roll it off the truck, good, you know, I mean, we, we there was nights where the best nights that we had, you know, I mean, we're running, you know, this, a straight up simple setup where it's like, you know, 10 and a quarter bars on the right side, thousands on the left. And we got straight five shocks on the right and maybe like a four, 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 four six on the left front maybe a four seven on the left rear and all we're doing throughout the night is putting a turn in the right rear and taking a turn out of the left rear and maybe move the right rear in and take out some stagger and like and, that was it on the wing car and i might be wrong but i feel like and i've never drove a wing car never set up a wing car never even really messed with one but i feel like you can manipulate a setup with your wing adjustments yes exactly you can't you absolutely can't that, that's all i'm saying if they can if you miss the setup man that driver you know they move that wing around they 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 can the 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 combination of what a driver can do in terms of moving the wing around and then finding a spot on the track to where they can run is it's it really is limitless now it doesn't mean that it, you have a crap car you're just going to be able to move that wing to victory like you got to be it you got to you got to have something good but you can make up for a lot and you'll see that with some of the best drivers out there now when we were on the non-wing stuff that was a different story I mean, we show up to the track, you know, there's nights where we're changing front springs on the coilovers and then the shocks, and then we're changing the rear bars and, you know, just way more because the it's wheel like, space thing, it's, it's like, it's insane. Yeah, it's <laughs> it insane. gets very, very frustrating. Yeah, man. There's nights where, dude, we must've, we must've changed wheel spacing one night at, uh, where was that? Bakersfield. We must've changed wheel spacing one night at, at, on that car. And every time it came off the track, we were changing the wheel spacing. And not yeah. because we were like trying to stay ahead of the track because we couldn't get the damn thing to work right, you know? And and, so, and that's sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, and so we it just it just seemed way more more uh frustrating and your and then, your margin of error was way less. That's one thing that we struggled with our car. And and a, and it played a big factor in it too, is my car was clipped, so it was two to three inches longer. Than a standard sprint car chassis. Oh wow! The front That's end, the front end was cracked, and then it was clipped. And we got a hold of Joe Devon and was like, "I remember that car. It's clipped." He goes, "You got to set it up completely different because it's a touch longer." Yeah. So once when we figured that out, it's like, okay, big difference, way big difference, because we would have the car entirely way too tight to where it was pushing like a dump truck, couldn't get it to rotate at all, and then. When we figured it out, a friend of mine had, that raced with us, he was like, here, let me let me help you. 
told him that it was longer. He knew exactly what to do. Put his setup in it, and it was like, okay, night and day. But it, it's crazy to think that a car two inches longer is harder to set up than a car that's two inches shorter. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like... Because you got to completely block it different, too. Well, not only that, but two to three inches longer on a sprint car, that's like comparing a a sedan to a limousine. Like, it is, yeah. dude. Like, I mean, it really is. Two to three inches long is... That's a huge change. Dude, on the outlaw carts, if you went from a 40-inch wheelbase to a 41-inch wheelbase, yeah, just one inch on an outlaw cart made a difference. You're talking about two to three inches on a sprint car. That's a big deal, man. It's <laughs> that's a big, big deal. deal. It's a very big deal. Like, we knew the front end was clipped. We just didn't know exactly how much because the guy couldn't remember. And then... It was a DRC chassis, which I think, hands down, is by far the best in non-wing racing as far as durability. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I junked it. I trashed it, and not one weld was broke, which was very impressive. But anyway, <laughs> I called Joe Devin, the, the chassis builder, and sent pictures. And just by looking at the pictures, he's like, yeah, the, the front end was clipped. So it's, it's, a, it's longer than a normal standard DRC chassis. Do this, change this, you'll be better. Didn't. It was like night and day. I looked at my dad and was like, who would have thought? Who would have thought that a car two inches longer would be that much of a big difference? But, I mean, it really is. Yeah, it is. Like guys getting into the non-wing stuff, I tell them, make sure the front end is not being clipped or the car at all. Because it's going to be different. It's going to be way different. Yeah, a huge difference. Yep. And even when they're even when they're the right length, it, they're still it is it's they're it's still difficult. difficult. To, yeah, it's difficult <laughs> to set up, man. They're not easy. They're not easy to set up. If, they're not easy to drive. If you don't have a good torsion bar package or a good shock package, good luck. No, yeah, with those things, yeah, that was another thing, man. We, God, I, I wish we had had adjustable shocks back when I was doing it because. You know, I mean, we we only had basically the left rear would be an adjustable shock, and you could only adjust the rebound on it, and the, the driver had that ability in the cockpit. But other than that, like if we wanted to change our shock, we had to change physically change the shocks, and you would do that a lot. Yeah, and and that's and that's how we were. My dad didn't want a bunch of adjustable adjustability in the cockpit for me, so that way I didn't get all ass backwards on what I was doing. Yeah. It's to easy do it to do and get confused on, okay, I turned it this way. Maybe I should have turned it this way. Yeah. So we would run just standard shocks, non-adjustable through the night and it worked. And then we started running the double adjustable shocks where you could adjust them outside of the car, mm-hmm. which made it, it's night and day. Well, it's a huge difference, especially it's just in, in terms of time savings. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're not, you're not blocking the car. Jacking, jacking the car up, blocking it, and then mm-hmm. trying to find, okay, do we want to run this shock or do we want to run that shock? And then you throw your shock package balance off, and then it throws you off because your car is going to handle completely different than what you want to handle. it. And even with wheel spacing, that's a big thing too. Oh, yeah. It's huge with those cars. cars. Huge with those cars. Well, you don't get the wheel spacing. Right? The car you, you will literally bike the car Yeah, because you don't have that wing up top. You don't have, you know, 40 square feet of surface area sucking you down on the left side. Like, you go rolling into the corner there, right? You go pitching that thing sideways 
at you know Lordsburg or or Williams Grove, right? Where they run there, like these track, you know, these fast and track, even even a Kokomo, yeah, yeah. Just to go pitching or sideways like that, you like you better have that right because if you don't, dude, it'll just it'll just roll on you. It'll just flip. yeah, it'll send you. Yeah, and and that crazy. and that's one sketchy thing that I always feared was biking and then hitting cage first into the wall. That yeah, was that is a scary thing. Fear. Cause there was one night we were at Lawrenceburg and any of the listeners out there from the area, if you know, Lawrenceburg back in the day, it was always hammer down fast, always tacky. It would never really slick off for the most part. And then there, there was a dip going into turn three and then a dip going into one. Well, there was one night you'd always try to avoid the dip because it would upset the car a lot. Well, there was one night I was forced to take the dip. And when I did, it biked the car up on the right front. My dad was sitting in the grandstands and was like, I could see daylight. I could see your floor pan. I could see the oil pan. That was <laughs> the scariest thing. And what's even scarier is when it landed, it sheared the floor pan bolts off. Really? So as, as I'm driving, I could feel the floor pan moving. I'm like, this, this ain't good. Ooh. So I just pulled it off and I looked down and it's, it's all cockeyed. And I'm like, wow, this, yeah. this ain't good. Because <laughs> yeah. there's not much between that floor pan ain't much. And if your feet fall through there, you're, 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 you're in trouble. Screwed. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not that high trouble. off the ground. Yeah. No. Yeah. That would be, and that would be terrifying. We got back to the trailer and my dad was like, what's wrong? I was like, well, one, I think I need a new pair of underwear. <laughs> Two, the floor pan is broke. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, when I biked, it landed and it landed so hard that it broke the bolts and it's all sitting in our cattywampus. And he's like, oh, that, that's big. And I'm like, yeah, it, it, it was big. And he's like, yeah, I, I was scared. He goes, I looked up and was like, oh, my God. He goes, I could see the Lawrenceburg on the wall underneath your car. Jeez. And how that's it crazy. did flip over is beyond me. I do not know grace of god the racing gods oh, it was it was terrifying <laughs> knowing that all right i'm up on the right front yeah just, just back her down a little bit get it to land and we'll be good ah oh, dang that would be scary i can't and, even imagine and it did and i broke a jacob's ladder at the same place and biking it that big was way scarier if if you break a jacob's ladder it'll it'll knock the rear end around a little bit but at least you got control of it when it bikes you're just yeah it is what it is and you're kind of stuck for yep. the time yeah yeah we had a track like that one night i think it was either tulare or chowchilla i can't remember which one but it it had it had basically it was like a washboard going into going into the turn the it, the the bumps were so bad we couldn't put a stiff enough bar in the right side of the car to get over those bumps because there was no avoiding them. Like you had to go through them. And I just remember that was one of the nights and this was with the wing car. Luckily I had it been a non-wing. I, I don't, I don't know how people would have kept the cars in, in the track. And we had to, we were literally softening up the left side and tying down the left side. And we had stiffened up the right side just to try to get the thing to wing over and hopefully kind of like skip over the bumps because they were so bad. And even then you see those things hit and they get all out of whack. I mean, when you unload the suspension on a sprint car, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's bad. And when you unload it and it's on the right two wheels, it's really bad. It's terrifying. Yeah. I can't imagine as a driver. Like I, I always told people when I was racing, my biggest fears is biking and hitting the wall and catching on fire because with the methanol, you, you can feel the heat. You just can't see it. You can't see it burning. It's so scary. Yeah. 
Yeah, that 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 would be yeah, that would be terrifying, man. That would be scary. Like when I had my first big big wreck where it broke literally everything on the car and it launched the fuel cell off. Now that, that was my biggest fear is okay, the fuel cell's not here. You could feel the weight difference in the car. It's like, okay, hopefully none none of it hits the brake rotor or the headers. And fortunately, but unfortunately, it, it knocked me out immediately. And that safety crew was top notch and they pulled me out. And I'm like, whoo, that was terrifying. And I was like, the, the flip itself wasn't scary, but the thought of I could burst in a ball of flames and not know it. Yeah, you got the fuel cell flying off. You basically got a grenade. Yeah, and, and the the scariest kind because, like you said, you you don't see methanol burning. Now, when it's burning, you can see the heat waves, right? You can see the heat coming off, but it's yeah. a, a methanol fire is not like a regular gasoline fire. You know, what I mean, no, it's, it's not, like it's not like a that. bomb to your back and saying, "Have fun." Yeah, Go you have know fun what I mean. Thirty laps. <laughs> so, yeah, that that would definitely be terrible. At least with gasoline, you could you could see the the flame. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can you can actually see it. But those of the listeners, if, if you go to a dirt track and a fuel spills out of a methanol car and they burn it off, you can, you can see the heat wave above it, and then you'll look down, and you might see a little blue flame, but you might not, and it's, it's so wild. Yeah. Yeah, it is, man. They're, uh, it's why they're so much fun. It's why, it's why we love them. You know what I mean? They're just incredible. Uh, they're, I love it. They're, to me, there's nothing, there's nothing better than dirt track racing. No, yeah. the smells is what I love. Yeah, it's, there's nothing better than it. And to bring it back around, you know, there's nothing better than watching those who are awesome at it do it. And like we were talking about in the beginning, you know, Brian Clawson was definitely, definitely one of the best I'd ever, I ever seen it. Although I never saw it in person, uh, one of the best I ever watched do it. And it was, uh, well, it's he was like definitely I... a legend on the track. It, it's like a the previous episode that I was on where I said that you'd catch yourself watching other people. He was one of the guys you'd catch yourself watching through the night oh, just yeah. because it was so awesome to watch. It was oh, awesome yeah. to witness because it you knew his greatness. Mm-hmm. He was the GOAT back, then, back before Kyle Larson became the new GOAT. Yeah. But it was it was wild, the, the, the ability that he brought behind the wheel of a, a dirt car, a sprint car. Whether it was non-wing, wing, a midget, it was very, very impressive. It was wild. Yeah, it was, man, and it was uh, definitely a shame that uh, that he was gone uh, and, way too soon. And to think that we got like fifteen other ones that were the same way. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It is. It's really crazy. So. Yep, Ryan Clawson, our first legend of the track, which he definitely, definitely was. And like I said, one of the greatest what ifs of all time. So hope you guys, hope you guys enjoyed that. But that's going to do it all for this week's podcast. Thank you guys very much for joining me and our new co-host, Keith, the Animal Bradley. Keith, thank you very much for being here, man. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem at all. Thank you for having me. But that'll do it all for this week, you guys. Now, next week, we'll be off because we got Thanksgiving, but we will be back the following week to wrap up the midget season and then, I don't know, talk about whatever else we feel like. So hopefully it'll be a lot of fun, which it should. Anytime we can talk racing, it's always fun. So hope you guys enjoyed that. Thank you guys, as always, for joining us. And until next time, 